0: Welcome to Innovation Hub, I'm Kara Miller. On a January day in 2011, our national conversation about parenting got a jolt. The conversation had been full of questions you've probably heard. Do we push our kids too hard? Should we push harder? Do we hover too much? And we've been having this conversation probably forever, but for a minute, let's go back to that January when a Connecticut woman opened the newspaper.
1: The Wall Street Journal excerpted some parts of the book from the very opening, basically like the most provocative, like, you know, no play dates, no sleepovers, only what? the piano or violin.
0: Amy Chua, a professor at Yale Law School, had just written a slim memoir about the trials and tribulations of raising her two daughters.
1: And then the crucial thing is they put the headline on why Chinese mothers are superior. I never saw that headline. I mean, I, I literally opened the newspaper and I thought, Oh, my God. Because it's the opposite of the cover. On the cover, it actually says this was supposed to be a book about, you know, great Chinese parenting. But instead, it's about how I was humbled by a 13-year-old.
0: Chua's book, Battle Hymn of the Tiger Mother, was being released that month. And up until the January day that The Wall Street Journal published an excerpt, the book hadn't attracted a ton of interest. But that changed fast. And so did Chua's life she was bombarded by media and emails with both praise and disdain for the super restrictive parenting style that at least initially she'd embraced
1: so i was trying to raise my own two daughters the same way that my very strict chinese immigrant parents raised me that's because even though my parents were crazy strict now as an adult i adore them and i feel like i owe them everything um so i thought okay i want to do this with my own two girls because it works so well and with my oldest daughter Things went very smoothly. She was an easy kid. And I thought, parenting is easy. <laughs> you know, what's the problem? Then I had my second daughter, Lulu, who is very similar to me in personality, which I think is part of the issue. We're actually very close, but we have locked heads since day one. And she basically resisted this kind of parenting. So Chua's memoir started off by
0: explaining how strict and seemingly successful she was with her first child, but how ultimately she had to make some major changes when her second daughter rebelled. Once the article was published, though, with the title Why Chinese Mothers Are Superior, the details of the book faded away. And America, for a moment at least, became obsessed with the question of whether indeed Chinese parenting is better or worse than American parenting. Were there things we could learn from other cultures? What could we do better? And on and on.
2: We're not trying to say that culture doesn't matter at all. We're just saying compared to our prior that culture drives most of parenting, it's maybe a lot less important than we initially thought.
0: That's Matthias Dapka, a professor of economics at Northwestern University.
2: We think of culture as responding to changes in the economic environment. And so some of what we might call culture is ultimately also driven by changes uh, in economics.
0: Dapka is the co-author of Love, Money and Parenting, How Economics Explains the Way We Raise Our Kids. And he argues, sure, culture matters. But this notion that Chinese parents or Brazilian parents or Canadian parents or any parents differ solely because of culture, that's wrong.
2: Even Amy Chua, by the way, talks about uh, the observation that uh, Chinese parents in the United States are considered soft by Chinese parents in China, which also uh, suggests this possibility that there is a cultural factor, but that kind of gets weakened as you move to a different economic environment and then adapt over time to the situation that you face now. And I think what we see, for example, with changes to immigrant groups is very much consistent with this view of culture being there, but ultimately being responsive to the economic environment.
0: The notion that economics might have been a driving force in how we were raised and how we raise our own kids, it sounds kind of cold and impersonal. Sure, companies are shaped by economics. They've got a goal, which is usually make as much money as possible. But they also have constraints around that goal and lots of limiting factors. Dupka says, to be fair, parents also have a similarly clear goal.
2: Parents love their children and want them to do well. So we're saying parents want their children to do well in whatever economic environment they face. Now the constraints have to do with the world that you live in. And so here we say that when you compare different time periods in different countries, the conditions have changed. In particular, they often change as a reaction to economic inequality.
0: So no matter the country, no matter the year, parents are, generally speaking, big fans of their kids, and they want the best for them. But what are the constraints on getting those kids to succeed? What can limit that success? Well, how equal or unequal a society is, it turns out to matter a lot.
2: So when I live in a society where, where inequality is very low, where different people have very different outcomes, no matter what their background, what their education, what their job might be, then it doesn't matter so much to for example push your kid very hard to be the very best in math and get the highest grade. You can be a bit more relaxed about uh, the kid's accomplishment, give them more freedom and in our view this uh, leads to more relaxed more permissive parenting. Whereas if you're in a society with very high inequality like the United States today, parents realize that uh, accomplishment matters a lot. For example nowadays the gap between those who finish college versus those who don't is, is very large.
0: How Dobka came to the conclusion that the economics of a country can radically change its parenting style involves some fascinating data. He looked at whether parents in various countries said that emphasizing hard work to kids is important, which seems like a no-brainer. Of course, hard work's important. Well, to American parents, it mostly is. About two-thirds of parents say emphasizing hard work to your kids, that's something you should do. In China, Russia and Turkey, the numbers are much higher, closer to 90 percent of parents. Those are also the most economically unequal countries that the authors looked at. So does that mean that in more equal places, parents don't emphasize hard work to their kids? Well, yeah.
2: Sweden, for example, has low inequality. And in Sweden, only about 10 percent of parents think that teaching kids to work hard is important. In fact, my co-author, Fabrizio Silibotti, raised his daughter for quite a while in Sweden. And he tells me that in Sweden, parents would often have the opposite view, that uh, trying to teach your kids to read and write at an early age, at age uh, three or four, is actually something that's that's wrong. It's against human nature. Kids should just be free and uh, and play and uh, enjoy their childhood.
0: In Sweden, stress and anxiety are considered the enemy. Grades are frowned upon when kids are young all of which probably would have horrified Amy Chua, at least in the early years of her parenting, when she was imitating her parents who had immigrated from China.
2: It's a shocking difference, but in Sweden, kids are very much on their own. They are uh, encouraged to be independent and creative. They don't enter school until age seven. So from age zero to six, kids in Sweden don't really hear about numbers or addition and subtraction or reading and writing. They start at age seven. And then for the first five years of school, there's no grades, so they they are taught some stuff, but this idea of uh, doing better in the test than somebody else doesn't really come up at all. So it's very much, uh, kids should be free and imaginative and creative, but uh, competition and accomplishment is not really part of the menu there.
0: But what if you're thinking, as I did, you can't compare Chinese and Swedish parenting styles. There are so many differences, different governments, different religious traditions, completely different parts of the world. Matthias Dabka totally hears you.
2: But I think the theory becomes stronger when you look at countries that are closer together, such as Sweden and Switzerland, which are not that far apart, but uh, they are different in terms of economic inequality. So in in Switzerland, we do have high inequality. We also have somewhat pushy appearance a bit more uh, towards the American model compared to the Swedish model. Another case we found very interesting is the case of Japan, because uh, sometimes we think of Chinese parenting as driven by by Asian values, that somehow Asian parenting has uh, a different background, but we see that Japan has both lower inequality compared to China and also much more relaxed parenting values. In fact, independence is emphasized just as much as it is in Sweden. So we see it's not so much uh, just the cultural background or the corner of the globe that you're situated in, Uh, it is really the economic inequality that mattered.
0: In Switzerland, students take a high-stakes test around 12 years old, which can determine which educational track you're on. And it really stresses parents out. Now, Switzerland and Sweden are similar in lots of obvious ways. But in Sweden, where there's more of a safety net, even if things don't go how you'd hoped, there's only so far that you can fall. And parents are generally a lot more relaxed. But if even Sweden and Switzerland don't feel similar enough to you, they are still different countries with divergent cultures... Consider the case of the U.S., a country that's had the same form of government for a long time, clearly the same geography. But over the last 50 years, parenting here has undergone a major change.
2: So we can look at these same values, such as this question of how important hard work is. And we have seen this go up with increasing inequality, not just in the United States, but in in many countries where inequality has risen. People have uh, gotten more intense in terms of the values that they emphasize in raising kids. But we get some even better data when we look at uh, time use. So uh, there's time use studies that break down exactly how people spend their time. And one thing we can measure there is childcare. So how much time do parents actually spend interacting with their children? And there we see that the parenting in the 70s is really completely different from what it is now. Hmm. It's also true when you just think about how people talk about this informally, but the data shows us really very clearly. So, we show that uh, today the uh, time typical parents spend on uh, childcare is about twice as high as it was in the 1970s. And this is even more shocking when you consider that people now have fewer children on average compared to back then, and that moms are much more likely to be working. So, we have now much more time spent on childcare, even though less time is available given this higher labor supply. This really shows you this intensity of parenting has really completely changed in, in these few decades when equality has been rising.
0: Okay, so you've got a lot more you know, families where everybody's working, uh, you've got people having fewer kids, and still they're like, yeah, and I'm spending more time with my kids than than my parents basically were spending with me 40 years ago.
2: Exactly. And they do it, so to some extent they do it by uh, outsourcing some other stuff. So now we spend a bit less time on basic uh, housework like cleaning and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. But we also have less time for leisure. Now We used to think that as we get richer and we get robots, we would all have more time and just be... Uh, Uh, Free to enjoy ourselves, but the opposite has really happened because so much time now goes into parenting.
0: Now, what is the mechanism by which this works? Because, like, obviously, whether it's the 70s, the 80s, now, no parent, I mean, maybe some economists, but uh, most parents are not like sitting down with the economic data and saying, gee, things have gotten really unequal. I'm going to really have to step up my parenting because of this. So, how, so, assuming people are not sitting around like checking out you know, reams of economic data. Um, how are they getting the memo to change their parenting?
2: So I think even though they don't really have this very conscious thought, I think parents are really very much aware of uh, what the future options are. Because you do imagine what the life path of your kid is going to be. Now, you do imagine uh, how they're going to grow up and graduate from high school and what is going to happen to them next. And so when you are in a, in a time where you uh, read in the papers or see in the news every day how people are struggling who, say, dropped out of high school or uh, didn't get a college degree and uh, got into some kind of trouble in their life, uh, I think it does weigh on our expectations of what the options are and how important it is to be on that one you know, now uh, right track of uh, going to college and high accomplishment. So I think people do see this, and uh, at least in, in a maybe less conscious way, but I think it does affect uh, what they do. Of course, in addition to that is the feedback from other parents, because we see what the other parents are doing. And if I'm in a school where all of a sudden you know, all the other parents are spending an hour every afternoon helping their own kids with homework, well, if I want my kid to, to keep up, I probably have to do the same thing. If I'm the only parent who thinks it's a great idea for kids to be playing out on their own in the yard, but there's nobody else joining them, well, I can't really make that choice either. So there's also this amplification effect from the feedback uh, between different parents.
0: Hmm. Give me a sense of parents at different income levels in the U.S. Um, I, I know that Robert Putnam, who famously wrote this book called Bowling Alone, then went on um, after that to look at parents. I think he actually looked at his hometown in Ohio, um, but but he looked at how like different parenting styles had diverged over time, just in the US, really radically between people at the high end and people at the low end, and that people at the high end and the low end used to be much, much closer together on how they spent their time and how they spent their money, um, let's say, 50, 60 years ago, and that that, a huge chasm has really opened up. Uh, Do you want to talk about that? And I wonder, like, does that factor into what you found?
2: Yeah, that's right. So so, so he was talking about uh, his high school uh, cohort uh, back, I think, in Ohio, and uh, he was tracing different people and seeing how these uh, gaps had really opened up. And we can see really the same effect uh, in the overall data. So if you compare different groups of parents, we can see that the uh, investment of different kinds in children has really gone uh, in different directions for richer and poorer parents, which is also something that makes sense if you think of the economics of this, just because the constraints that richer and poorer parents uh, face are quite different. So if you look at uh, couples where both a mom and the father have a college education, for example, th- those couples have increased their, their time use on childcare, the time they spend, for example, on helping kids with homework, they've done it the most. And if you look at uh, less educated couples, it has al- also gone up, so they're also responding to the same change, mm-hmm. but much less so. To some extent because they just might not be able to free up as much time because they may be holding down to jobs or may not be able to free up their own time for example by having somebody else uh, take care of uh, cleaning and uh, gardening and so on and of course this is also true when you look at uh, monetary spending because to some extent there's also choices of paying for enrichment classes maybe for private school which are also a lot less affordable for for uh, poor parents as inequality has gone up. So we see that the, also the spending on, on children has grown uh, very much uh, at the top end of the income distribution, not so much uh, at the bottom.
0: You're listening to Innovation Hub. I'm speaking with Matias Dopka. He's a professor of economics at Northwestern University, and he's the co-author of Love, Money, and Parenting, How Economics Explains the Way We Raise Our Kids. So when you look at the data, we talked about this before, but you know, way on the end, like you've got charts, and, and way on the end of those charts um, are three countries, uh, Russia, Turkey, and China. And those countries have two things in common. One is that they have the most inequality. And the other thing is that they have the most parents saying, hard work is super important. You've got to emphasize that for your kids, whereas countries like Sweden that are a lot more equal um, have very, very few parents saying, oh, hard work is really important to emphasize for your kids. The U.S. is a lot closer to the, you know, Turkey-China-Russia trio uh, than to Sweden. Um, And it's getting closer Um, Just I wonder, what do you think is like, what is the US on the road to? Is it headed out, you know, towards those very most unequal countries and, and the way they look at parenting?
2: I think the trend has been in that direction, inequality has been going up and uh, really this increase in the intensity of parenting has been ongoing at a fairly steady rate for some time. So if we don't do anything to change these trends, uh, one would expect that uh, indeed the parenting becomes even more uh, intense, more uh, more like the Chinese model than the Swedish model uh, down the road. At the same time, I do think that that looking at this data is also a hopeful message in there, namely that parenting is very responsive to what the environment is like, and that much of this environment is a, is a choice. You know, it's a choice uh, how much we support uh, preschool. It's a choice uh, how much we uh, support inequality in general. It's also, for example, a choice uh, what uh, roads to employment we offer. Now, is it really just going through college or do we, for example, invest in vocational training and uh, apprenticeships to make it possible to have alternative routes to, say, stable middle class uh, uh, existence?
0: What kinds of uh, public policies would you suggest um, uh, America and look at uh if you think it's a good idea to sort of change the trajectory we're on.
2: So there's many dimensions to this. Um, Of course, you could just uh, think about overall economic inequality and redistribution. But I do think uh, the most concerning thing about the current situation is what we call this this parenting gap, this this different uh, parenting environment for poorer and richer parents uh, in the United States. And when we look at, uh, in more detail at this, uh, this gap between children from b- different backgrounds, we see that really the first years are the most important, you know, where there's really very different uh, support for, um, for children from different social groups. So from this perspective, if I could start with one thing, uh, investing in early childhood education is, I think, the, the most important dimension, because that's where most of the inequality comes from. And if you can give more equal starting conditions to kids in the first four or five years, I think a lot of the problem is already much better. Of course, it doesn't uh, end there. We can also think about how we organize school finance. We can also think about how we how we organize college admissions. We have now a college admission system that was recently in the news with some scandals. But uh, much beyond this uh, particular uh, case, uh, it's clear that getting into college places a lot of pressure on kids to perform actually in various dimensions now, not just in terms of school, but also in terms of extracurriculars and and other uh, accomplishments. And so also rethinking how we organize this transition uh, could also be something that could be transformed.
0: Uh, a final question for you. You've uh, lived all over the world. Um, in fact, I'm talking to you now. For, you're in Spain. Um, it, you know, we've talked about how the U.S. has become both more unequal and um, as in potentially as a result, uh, parents have become like more hardcore in terms of like how hard they push their kids. Um, is, are other countries becoming following the American trajectory or are other countries more following the Swedish trajectory in terms of like being more equal and being like, whatever, you don't need to k- push kids that hard. That's not important. That's not an important value.
2: So the majority of countries have experienced rising inequality. And so if you just look at the changes in parenting, uh, in most countries they've gone in the same direction towards more of the American model. There's just very few ex- uh, exceptions. In fact, Spain is one of the exceptions where inequality has gone down and also parenting has become a bit more relaxed. Huh. So the direction of change is, is usually towards uh, the more intensive high inequality model. But again, because institutions are so different, in many other countries, this change has been uh, much less pronounced. So even Sweden, now, which uh, we've talked about quite a bit, uh, has more intense parents today than it did uh, 30 years ago, if we can trust the data. Hmm. But it's just a very small change. You know? So where the institutions that are already in place really lessen the impact of changing inequality.
0: Matthias Dapka is a co author of Love, Money, and Parenting How Economics Explains the Way We Raise Our Kids. He's also a professor of economics at Northwestern University. Matthias, thank you so much for your time.
2: Thanks for having me on.
0: If you want to know more about Dapka's research and how economics changes our parenting, we're going to have a link to an article that he and his co-author wrote in the Washington Post. That's at our website, innovationhub.org. Thanks to the people who helped put together this show. Senior producer Elizabeth Ross, producer Mark Sollinger, associate producer Sarah Leeson, and engineer David Goodman. We also had production help from Eleanor Ho. From PRI and WGBH Radio, I'm Kara Miller, and this is Innovation Hub.
2: PRI, Public Radio International.